good evening and thank you for uh, listening today to today's beginning podcast of the um, Home Quizzes uh, podcast. Home Quizzes is about uh, asking answers about real estate and finding answers. And tonight I wanted to kind of talk to you about my origin story. One of the things that I think all podcasts should have is a beginning. So let's start from it for me. So for me, I was born into a kind of older industry of uh, what was cotton farmers. There were some small business that you know bought and sold our cotton and others uh, to textile mills around the world. So not only do we produce the cotton as farmers, but we had a brokerage business that actually bought it from the farmers and sold it throughout the world. Now this was something that had been in my family for over a hundred years and I was the fourth generation to become part of it. So for 20 years, I helped my family, you know, by keeping the books, writing software, you know, making uh, the business more oriented towards the future by, you know, providing computer systems, uh, inventory systems, sales, and, you know, pretty much just organized it from what was the 60s to the PC revolution and, and making it all automated. Now, during this time, I was constantly tying to the land, its uh, production of farmers. They were actually taking it from the seed, the crop. We were always worried about, you know, the daily ebb and flow about, you know, farmers' life as they struggle to secure the financing, the planting of the seeds. Was it going to rain? Do we have the right fertilizer? Were there going to be enough water in the, you know, the Colorado and, and Rio Grande rivers to be able to water the crops? And, and, and you have to realize cotton itself is a long growing crop. It takes about six months to actually start from seed to going to harvest. It's one of the largest crops that, that you can grow in the United States. But yet, still, farmers grew this, and it had been something that had been going on in our generations, like I said, for many years. I mean, this was a um, tradition that had gone on for about over 300 years in the United States, and literally it even survived the uh, Civil War, so it was a wonderful time. Now, one of the issues that happened in my life, and what started me down this road, really began in the 1990s. And it was during this time that even though, you know, the industry had survived so much, there was a beginning of seeing textile mills disappear from the Carolinas, you know, north and south. And, and what had been the ebb and flow of American, you know, textile industry had started to, to move itself over to the Asian markets. And I think really what happened to us was the final blow came when Levi Strauss decided to move its gene creation plants from the Carolinas to Asia. What further happened was I lived in New Mexico, and so was my family. And... Uh, we were very, very dependent upon rain and or snows that would come down from the mountains and in the tributaries. The area of uh, New Mexico and Arizona where we, we lived was based largely upon irrigation. So whatever rain you had was the ability to raise crops. And if you didn't have it, you couldn't raise crops. So what we started to see was a transition to more of a, a retirement community, you know, in that a lot of people were moving in from California, from Oregon from other areas and states to buy really nice homes and, and, and retire there. So the population started to increase in the areas of Albuquerque and El Paso and, and in Las Cruces. And as people started to come in, people of course were much more important than crops. So they started to take the water away from what was the cotton industry. I think it all came to a hilt when early one day in 2020, my dad kind of came in, called me into his office and said, Son, I'm going to sell the business, and it's time for you to find a new career. And uh, you know, I'm going to give you a few months to go ahead and figure that out, but you need to begin now. So something that 
I had spent a whole lifetime planning to kind of take over as a career, which was the managing of my family business, was gone. The Borhard dream that I'd started with, and now I needed to start from scratch and decide what that new dream was going to be, what that new career or development was going to be, and I had to do it fast. So what came out of that was that if you remember during 2000, we were dealing with the millennium bug, or millennium bug, if you remember, we were computers, you know, on the, the New Year's Eve of uh, 2000 uh, would, would collapse and systems would go about. There was this whole software going on. At the same time, we had companies coming to fruition like Amazon, that you know, the dot-com bug. We had, you know, PayPal, Amazon, eBay, all these were coming about. So being able to computer program at all was a huge skill and really highly sought after and looked at. So it ended up that I happened to uh, get the experience that I had spent at the you know, family business writing you know, software for, for many, many years on inventory and software and, and sales. And I was able to cultivate that into an offer that uh, sent me over to an insurance agency. And in all places, Miami, Florida. So I went from the arid desert to Miami and kind of, it was an amazing, in one day period saw more rain than I had seen in three years in my, my home state of New Mexico. So it was it was a large shock, but I had found a new existence with an insurance company that was gonna allow me to write software for their policy department. So we, we ended up writing policies for that, learning and growing, ebbing and flowing. And my skills had really enhanced and I was able to really become better. During the same period of time, I married my wife who came with me uh, to Miami. We bought a condo on the beach and finally it seemed like this new life that I was evolving into began and was created. Then on the morning of September 11th, 2001, the world as I knew it abruptly changed again. And a month later, as we all know now, the uh, United States went into a war on terrorism and entered into a recession. It was during the fall of 2000 and of that year that and, and one that year that I found myself without a job, no stable income, a wife to support, and a mortgage now that I had, but, but no job. Because due to the impacts on the economy in South Florida, the insurance company decided to let me go. Now I remember those days like it was yesterday. I would have been able to walk literally five miles of Miami Beach and it was vacant. It almost reminds me of the period of time that we're dealing with now during the COVID-19 where there was no one outside. I could literally walk from you know, our, our condominium there on 53rd all the way down to South Beach and I might see on a good day 30 people. So it was just a devastating time for the entire South Florida market. And in and of ourselves, it was kind of crazy. So um, during this period of time, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. So being, you know, kind of a childhood interest and wonder, I decided to join the circus. So in 2022, uh, for a few months, I worked with Cirque Soleil, who happened to come in town on one of their production tours for a couple of months. And, and so I sold ten, uh, tickets to one of the most interesting shows I'd ever seen. And every night seemed to be different as people would come in. And, and it, it was a wonderful opportunity. And a few weeks after the circus left, Another change in my life had come. The city of Miami was seeking a project manager uh, to work in their IT department. And they had selected after, you know, about a month long process, me to become that manager. 
And it was a wonderful opportunity because overnight I became literally the manager of a team of director or developers, excuse me, uh, who supported over 12 different city departments. In time, I fell on myself working with police, fire, building, planning, zoning, community development, and various other departments to find out what software needs they had, how to write programs, um, how, to, how to create new systems, and how to make the city evolve and thrive. Uh, it was during this time, it was really a truly time of a renaissance that I'd never seen within the city. They'd done a study a few years before and realized that most of the systems were 20 years old and needed to be replaced and remodeled and redone. And it was an opportunity of a lifetime to be a part of that process because we were able to see, you know, the city create new systems for this new millennium. And one of the first ones that they created that I had a part of was their geographic information system, their enterprise GIS, as we called it. And the idea behind this was to create a system that would be able to manage the city's address, cities, parcel data, all in one system that was interconnected to everything else the city did. This meant that this system would be used by fire and police vehicles in an emergency to be able to get faster to the destination. Solid waste trucks would use it when collecting trash and garbage, and city inspectors would use it when finding businesses in one of the cities to make sure that they were in license and compliance. The other thing that was going on right now is the city was being you know, completely redone as far as the way that the city's permitting, zoning, and planning was being handled by creation of a new city system we called um, you know, the business permitting system. And it was also a time of development like the city had never seen in its life. Literally overnight, it seemed like, or over a period of a few brief years, there was over 80 skyscrapers that had found their way up into development along the skyscraper. It was kind of funny. We remember listening last, you know, late night posts making fun of it. And one of them actually uh, came out and said that, you know, the new bird of the city of Miami is the crane. <laughs> it was laughingly called that because of all the construction that we had come out and about. But it had been literally a time that the landscape had gone from a flat, kind of like small city look that you would find to becoming what was now known as Manhattan South overnight. Now this, um, if it wasn't exciting enough, the planning department decided to change the formal zoning of the city to what you know most cities had used, which was zone-based or used-based, into more of a form-based system um, based upon size, shape, form of the building that was planned to use for a particular area of the city instead of what it was zoned for, like the old R123 or C123 that we all pretty much have understood. This was, in this particular area, you could have a building that was 20 stories with a relative use of a certain square footage. And it was, it was life-changing, not only for the world, but especially for the city, as it took several years to implement. My team was responsible for creating the maps that determined, you know, on the atlas, what a business, a city, or a citizen could do with their property throughout the city. So it was really life-changing, and it came at the same time that we were doing the building system, so it all integrated and made, you know, just a wonderful time. It was at that time, much like when I was working with farmers, that I realized how much I enjoyed land and real estate, its development, understanding what it meant, and how to make it come about and go. And, what I really enjoyed the most was helping people. I didn't care if it was developers that were creating monuments to the sky that were like 80 stories tall, or whether it was just a simple homeowner that wanted to create a fence. 
all these systems had to be able to handle the complexities of each. And one of the things I found out real quick was that a lot of that could be handled by asking questions. By simply asking a few questions, I could guide the person to the right department to move along their project just a little further. Whether it was something in zoning that needed to be resolved, going to planning, or just finally ending up in building to actually have the permit pulled and actually having it done. During the roughly 10 years that I, I was at the city of Miami, I learned how land and real estate was managed. I found out how the tax developed, you know, be able to serve the services that were needed for each citizens, and, and more importantly, how to create systems to manage these processes and maps that were making it the way it was. My love of real estate and helping people grew, and this big knew at that point that this was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I wanted to help people not only, you know, there within the city of Miami, but others as well. Now, during the, the time from 2006 to 2012, the U.S. found itself in the middle of a housing crisis. The likes I hope we never see again. And millions of people lost their homes to short sales, foreclosures, and cities and states lost billions of dollars, that's billions with a B of dollars, due to the loss of home values, uncollectible taxes that were tied up in foreclosure courts, or just lost as they didn't find who they could actually collect from. In, in just the apartments licensing area of the city of Miami alone, code enforcement had on the books over $40 million in uncollected violations and unpaid taxes that they didn't even know how to collect. So over this period of time, the city struggled to move forward and keep its city services going. At first, there were pay cuts, and then in spring of 2012, uh, the time came where the city let the go the remaining non-union managers in the IT department, such as myself. And my time, you know, at the city of Miami had ended. Having worked for the city of of Miami and learning the processes of how real estate is created, managed, taxed, and developed, I felt that my next logical steps would be in investing real estate and making my knowledge work for me there. So I, I bought a rental house, found a tenant, managed the property. I spent a year working with real estate developers on the west coast of Florida, you know, reviewing proposed and existing construction sites to be developed. While working with these developers, I learned more and understood more about the impacts of of development as I, I worked with the Army Corps of Engineers, worked with the Office of Indian Affairs and Florida Historical Society in order to ensure that properties we were looking at could be properly developed with care. Again, it was a time of questions and seeking answers, just like it was during the time in the city of Miami. Um, it was during this period of time that I began working with home buyers. I also you know, went throughout the state of Florida and I was working for those that were looking to find, at the time, um, FHA and, and USDA mortgages, you know, to help buy a home throughout the United States. And this is when the ideal of home quizzes, or real estate questions, really began. And as we focused uh, asking about clients, their, their questions to determine where they were in the home buying process, we were able to help them facilitate where they needed to be and how they needed to go. And it was d during this time that I realized that if I could just ask a few questions and get the, the person to, to answer them, I could determine where they were in the process and get them to the expert they needed to be with in order to find the next steps to the process of buying, selling, or investing in a home. 
So now after 20 years of working with you know, land management, real estate, and asking the right questions to find the answers, I have created homequizzes.com. Uh, in this process, if you take a few short quizzes, uh, I may our answers. Yeah, I can be able to find out whether or not you need to be in front of a mortgage person, or whether or not a real estate agent is the best fit for you. Are you ready to go see a homes, or what step are you buying, or, or do we need to find you a business if you're an investor? All these can be handled by just simply answering a quiz. And so now I present to you home quizzes. Buying, selling, or investing in your home is only a few questions away. So that's my story. I wanted to wrap it up. And thank you so much for listening. And look forward to speaking to you in the next podcast. Thank you. Hello, this is William Tharp. And thank you for joining me again for Home Quizzes, Questions About Real Estate Podcast. Today is going to be episode five. And the question today is, how do I list a house? Or how do I sell my house? Um... This is the, the words that every realtor on the planet want to hear. It's, you know, they look all day, uh, you know, 365 days a year to find somebody to sell a house. So let me kind of go through the process uh, on the home selling stage now. We talked about buying yesterday. So let me kind of tell you how it works out if you want to sell your house. So the first thing you're going to have to do is decide, are you going to use a real estate agent or are you going to try and do it for sale by owner? Now, I am an agent. And I'm going to tell you that I always believe you should use an agent. And the reason I'm going to say that is that it, it is statistically proven time and time again that real estate agents are going to be able to sell the houses quicker and at a higher price than you are going to do it by for sale by owner. And in fact, um, I think NAR estimates say that a little over 92% of all homes in, are sold by realtors. So it, it's just, it's a no... It's a no-brainer. Um, I think a lot of people feel like it, commission can be a lot of, since the seller does you know, pay for the commission, a lot of the reasons for it. But time in and time out, if you get a good agent, I have seen that the, the house price has been able to be sold for more than you could and uh, you actually receive over and above what that commission is. So I'll just say that. I'll talk about FISBOs on another day if you'd like. Uh, but for this way, uh, the rest of the podcast, I'm going to go with the idea that you're going to go with an agent. So... If you've decided to go ahead and go with an agent, then the next logical question is, how do I find an agent? Now, hopefully, you know, you're in a particular neighborhood where um, agents are farming. Now, let me explain what farming is. In this particular, it's a, it's a real estate term. And the ideal is that a agent has taken a liking to your particular neighborhood and they have made it an urgent part of their life to get out and know every homeowner in that neighborhood and letting them know that, they sell real estate, and if they have any questions on real estate, ask them. And the whole reason, uh, they do this uh, with different touches every year. And, and the reason why the importance, of course, is um, real estate's about who you know, and um, they, they want to be the person that you know. And uh, take advantage of these opportunities. I'm sure many of you have received sale, you know, different mailings from different agents that work your particular territory in the United States. I'm sure this happens the same in Canada. UK, you know, the world, and uh, make use of those. They, they really give you timely information. A lot of them will do market forecasts. A lot of them will do, um, uh, if you need help, they'll help you find handyman or anything related to the home. Just re reach out to them. I'm going to let you know that those are the agents that are paying attention to you and they're taking their uh, craft seriously. 
So I would definitely focus on one of the, usually there's about five or six for each neighborhood. I would focus on one of those. Uh, if there aren't anybody farming your neighborhood, which would be highly surprising, take a look at where the for sale signs are. Look at uh, what agents are selling in your neighborhood. Um, it, it's not going to be hard. And if that doesn't work, I'm not going to lie to you. Start knocking on doors because typically on your street, there's probably three reelers. That's just the honest fact of the matter. So having now found your reeler, let's talk about kind of the process of how you want to evaluate which one of them to use. Now, when you invite a reeler or, or an agent over uh, to discuss selling your home, uh, there's going to be certain steps that are going to be handled in that. Of course, the first step is they're going to, you know, you agree to, they're going to inter make introductions. And the first logical step is to kind of see the home so the realtor can make sure that, um, they understand, you know, the condition of the home, you know, uh, what upgrades you've made. Uh, they, they, they want to kind of see it so when they discuss valuations with you later in the, uh, the interview, they can make sure and accommodate all these things that they may not have been able to get from the assessor's office or other information about the property. So usually they'll take about a five, 10 minute walk around the house. You can guide them or they'll take it themselves. They'll see if you've added and upgraded the fridge, you've done any improvements to the home as far as a garage, added a pool or whatever. This will be the time for those discussions. And then what normally happens is they'll sit down with you, usually at a table. <clears throat> Kitchen table always works nice. And they're just going to go over how they sell homes. And they're going to tell you about themselves, list some references, and uh, pretty much explain to you why they're the person for the job. Excellent time. I strongly you know, suggest you, you, you use this to the best availability because this person uh, that you select is going to be responsible for you know, not only marketing your home, you know, going through the contract process and uh, definitely getting the most value for your home. So you want to take as much time with that person as you need to feel comfortable to realize that this is the person. Okay. Uh, the uh, the thing to kind of go over is, you know, next is they're going to discuss what's the current market like. Are we in a buyer's market? Are we in a seller's market? Are we kind of in a doldrum market where it's either neither way? Um, what What is affecting the market? Is it interest rates? Is it the fact there's no inventory? Um, we're, in, we're in a market right now that has, because of the, um, the election of 2020 and COVID-19, has turned into a uh, seller's market because nobody's really, there's no inventory. Nobody's decided to put their home on the market because they're not quite sure of a lot of situations with the virus and everything else. So that means that there's more buyers than sellers, and so it's kind of created a thing. So. Uh, whenever your time to sell is, be it now or you know in the future, be mindful of those things, and this will be the time to ask the agent about it. Now, the next part about it that, that's crucially important is talking about what current homes have sold and what current homes are for sale in the neighborhood that you have. And you know, agents will bring, and they'll actually talk and discuss and give you ex examples. And this is so crucially important because you want to price your home right. I have seen countless times, and, and we'll make this you know a little later in the podcast, like uh, why do you have to price your home? So I'm not going to go into it a whole lot of time, but it's urgent you price your house right because you'll be able to get in and off the market as quickly as possible. If you price it wrong, you could sit on the market for anywhere from three to six months longer than you need to, and nobody wants to do that. You factor in the cost of your mortgage, you factor in your utilities, and the sheer fact that you didn't get to go where you want to, it just completely lose-lose for you. Now, after that is uh, done, 
They're going to review that walkthrough they did with you. And they're going to compare your home to the properties that are currently on the market. And they're going to give you their thoughts on a market value um, for your home. Now, this is the time where they're going to look for your input. And it's really um, going to be pretty specific. Because remember, the day you go out on the MLS, these are the homes you're competing with, right? So it doesn't make logical sense, you know, to sell or try and sell your home for, you know, 20, 50, 100,000 more than what's already on the market. And the reason for that is nobody's going to buy it. If you're thinking that they are, you know, unless you're Elvis Presley, you know, or, you know, he, he, he slept in your home, or let's say you're a famous person who owned the home, like Madonna, or, you know, even then it doesn't always make sense. But I mean, unless there's some value over and above, then no, nobody in the planet's going to give you that extra money. So be aware of that. And that's why the market valuation is so crucial. Now, the next step is the one we discussed yesterday on the buyer's conversation, and that's going to be setting commission. Now, currently, it's different in parts of the country. Um, the commission is decided at the time of leasing for both the buyer and the seller side. And the standard has been, for like the last three years, uh, 6 to 7%, depending upon where you are in, in the country. Now, there has been some situations where it's less than that, and you can negotiate that. But I'm just saying, the way it works is you take that number, let's use six, um, 3% is what you're paying this listing agent that you're talking in front of you, and the other 3% is going to go to the buyer side, whoever brings the person who buys it. Now, it's important to, because this will actually be advertised to agents and they'll be aware of it, and that's the reason we had that conversation yesterday. So go back to listen to my podcast on buyer side if you want to, to hear more on that. Now... Once that's done, you'll sit down and fill out your contracts and um, you'll determine the length that you want to list the property with. I always suggest a year. Most um, markets, usually if you price a home right, you should be in and off the market in 60 to 90 days at, at max. So it should not be an issue. And if you're working with uh, many agents, many agents have a... Uh, a you know unwritten law that they say hey if you are unsatisfied with me at any time then we can set this uh, aside just realize that if I had brought any of the buyers that eventually buy your house I want those to be for my account and not for some new agent that you bring on and if you think about it that makes sense because you know they did the marketing they've uh, made the house aware they probably even showed it during the period of time that they were your agent it's only fair for them so that's a win-win for both sides but if you have a good negotiation with them, you've worked with them, <clears throat> it should never get to that point. If these steps are followed, the price is set right, it, there should be no reason why your home doesn't sell in, I would say, 60 to 90 days, unless it's a really, really, really harsh buyer's market. And I haven't seen one of those in a couple of years. They can always come back, but just to let you know. Okay, so that's the process. And... Um, uh, we can go over later how an agent would sell your home is a question perhaps, but the question was, you know, how do you get your um, house listing or um, how do you sell your house? And I think we've answered that and that'll be it for today. So thank you very much for listening to um, Home Quizzes and I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Bye. Hello and uh, thank you for joining me on the uh, Home Quiz podcast. My name is William Tharp and we're beginning episode four. Uh, Today's question has come up quite a bit this week, and that is, do 
home buyers pay commission? Well, the answer to this question is yes. Now, the reason for the question came up from the lawsuit that happened on uh, November 19th. This is uh, filed by the Department of Justice and it was against the National Association of Realtors. Um, the DOJ, you know, kind of said that, you know, the National Association of Realtors violated the Sherman Act, which is an antitrust act that was and uh, have been restraining free trade. So in in their question, it was really about a, a four-part, and we'll handle each one of them, but just a high level is they felt that, uh, I'm going to say the National Association uh, of Realtors now is NAR, since it'll be easier. So they, were, they felt that um, NAR was prohibiting the multiple listing services, or MLSs, from disclosing prospective buyers the amount of commission being paid. That was their main concern. And the other was that they were allowing its members, i.e. realtors, real estate agents, to uh, misrepresent that buyers were getting their services for free. And that was the second one. The third was, you know, enabling uh, the buyer brokers to um, filter MLSs uh, by commission. So what they were saying here is that they felt that uh, broker agents weren't showing their parties um, commission rates that were below like the 3% norm. So if if there was a contract that was to, uh, agreed to for like 2%, they were, weren't going to show that home, they were going to show the home that was 3%. And then the other is that um, in lockboxes, um, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't a licensed broker, you didn't have access to show the house. So kind of lot going on there so let, let's kind of go over it briefly one now now that we've covered the issues one by one and let me kind of start to answer the original question by kind of going over for those that you don't know what the process is how the buyers um, commission rate is determined so what happens is uh, somebody decides to sell their house and agents kind of go back and forth and whoever they determine is going to be the seller or listing agent. Both of those are synonymous, by the way. Seller's agent, listing agent, same thing, just so you know in case we, we hear that. Uh, so, so the listing agent, I'm going to use that term because it's the preferred. Uh, the listing agent uh, negotiates with that particular seller the, the standard 6% commission for the deal. And what that means is that uh, each side of the transaction will get 3%. So they call them sides in the industry. That means that when the listing agent sells the house, they'll get 3%. And then whatever buyer agent, if it's not the listing agent themselves, comes to make the, the final contract and deal, they will get 3%. Okay, for a total of um, um, the, the, the full 6%. So um, most uh, buyers don't, don't know that whenever you get your sheets or when you look on Zillow or you look on all the informational websites, um, it doesn't say, you know, the buyer, you know, is, you know, 3%. So it, it, it is the real reason for the whole thing. And I, I believe it's something that should change. And, and as I understand it, the same day NAR decided to go ahead and adopt what the, the DOJ wanted. So that will be in the first quarter of uh, 2021 that we'll start seeing that. So to answer the question that was asked is, do buyers uh, pay commission? The answer is yes. 
Now, they're not a part of the negotiation because that's done when the listing agent creates the listing. All these terms are, are you know, dealt with at that time. So that, that's the big aha moment, I guess, for buyers. Now, the, uh, the ideal that had happened in the past was since the seller is the one paying for these commissions, that it's really kind of free to the buyer. And what uh, the DOJ was pointing out is that's not true because it raises the price of the home. So indirectly, even though, you know, at, at the closing table, there's no commissions taken out of the buyer amount, the buyer's mortgage is a little higher in order to cover, you know, the amount the seller pays to the real estate agent. So those are the items that are kind of, you know, up for discussion today. Now, that, that handles the first one, disclosing it. Now, the other is that, um, are there features? Um, the MLS that I have been a part of doesn't have a filter. What you would do though, or what I've seen some agents in other offices do, is that you might look through at the bottom. At the bottom of the page, it kind of tells you what the breakdown is as to what the listing agent's going to receive on commission and the buyer's agent will receive. And I have seen some people kind of sort those through. They'll, they'll usually always show because one of the things we as agents are supposed to do, and we're all pretty good about it, is to show all possible properties, but they may not talk up you know, the lower commission properties. The buyer doesn't know what commission it is. They haven't a clue. Most, most don't even know to ask, which is why we're having this podcast. Um, but, um, you know, that, that might be helpful for you to go back and review. And, and that, that I, haven't, I don't have one of those uh, filters in, in my system that I'm aware of, but I do know that perhaps they exist. Now, enabling, um, I'm reading back, uh, oh, okay. So the one thing I wanted to touch to that has been an issue I've seen in the fact is, let's say you want to use your existing agent and you're in another part of the state or in another state. One of the issues that has been, you know, a lot of times agents will travel, especially depending upon the size of the house, with their buyer. Uh, they can't show the houses if they don't have the uh, lockbox keys. Now, a lot of times now these are digital on the phones of the agents and you have to be a member of the MLS in order to get the key code access to it or you have to depend upon the listing agent to let you into the home. Most good listing agents are going to be the one that lets you in the home, but in the cases where they have it on lockbox or it's a what we would call an, an unhosted showing um, you may have some issues if you have a out of MLS agent showing you properties so that's kind of an encumbrance for buyers that have that that agent they want to use usually it's from an out of territory type agent that, that this becomes a situation so that's what I wanted to say so that kind of covers the topic if uh, if you have any more questions, I'll try and do a follow-up on it a little later. But like I said, really broad topic. I just wanted to kind of answer the question that, yes, buyers do pay for commission. Thanks.